Paul wrestled with identity for any number of reasons. You see it throughout all of his writings, the epistles in the New Testament, his letters in the New Testament. And back and forth he goes, trying to figure out exactly what his identity is. And he's a man of his times, and he, he wrestles with some of the hierarchical things, and he wrestles with um, some of the cultural issues about identity with women and, and those who've been enslaved and Jew and Gentile. And, and we see this throughout his writing. And in Philippians, he has written to a church that he dearly loves, and you can see his willingness to be vulnerable and to kind of wrestle with his identity with them. And this particular chapter, chapter 3 in Philippians, is so interesting to me because what is a barrier to understanding himself as a child of God is not his failures, but his success. And I think that that cannot go without being said because it's not failure that keeps Paul at a distance from Christ to begin with. It's his overwhelming success. So now I invite you to stand and, and hear this word with that in mind, and then we'll unpack that a little bit. I'll be reading from Philippians 3, beginning with the second half of verse 4. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I have had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the heavenly call in God and Jesus Christ. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, God, open our minds and our hearts, our bodies, our souls, our spirits. Open all that we are to your claim on our lives. 
Help us this day to hear a message from you, for it is in you that we live and move and have our being. Amen. So we're going to start out this morning with a game of who am I? You know, you know it? I'm going to give you some uh, hints, and I'm just going to invite you to, to shout out the answer. Don't get too rowdy, but, but let me know what you think. So here we go. Ready? Okay. I was once the most powerful man in the world. When I spoke, the globe listened. When I made decisions, everybody was influenced by them. People wanted to know me, prime ministers, royalty, celebrities. People wanted to be in my presence, entrepreneurs. People wanted just a little bit of my time. I was the most powerful man in the world. And when I went into retirement, not chosen but by me, but by others, I decided to go home to a little town in South Georgia called Plains. And I decided to spend my retirement, I think I've heard it, I decided to spend my retirement teaching Sunday school at my Baptist church and serving God in Habitat for Humanity. Okay, okay. <laughs> y'all weren't rowdy at all. You're very polite. Very polite. Once the most powerful man in the world, I don't care what you think about his politics, I, the most powerful position in the world that he had, right? And when he left office, he went back to the peanut farm and began to live his life in service, immersed in the scriptures of his childhood, living in to the call, to the claim, to the identity that God had given him. Carter's life and his faith are indistinguishable because he knows that they fit together necessarily. And while he had the world at his fingertips, he chose to step back from all that he had, from all the acclaim, all the success. I mean, if it wasn't enough of an accomplishment to get in the Naval Academy from Plains, Georgia, he became president. Several weeks ago, and of course it came to mind this week when he was um, hospitalized again for some treatment, but shortly after uh, his second or third fall of the year, 95 years old, Carter said to his Sunday school class in Plains, you know, when I was diagnosed with brain cancer two or three years ago, I began to pray to God about my death. I didn't ask God to let me live. I asked God to help me be comfortable with the idea of dying. And what I found out was that I was absolutely okay with it. Again, a life of faith lived so that in death that faith supplied for every need. What do we do with who we are, and especially when we have been so accustomed to be defined by success, many people? What do we do? How do we understand ourselves as someone claimed holy and significantly by God, and for that to make a difference, all the difference in how we understand ourselves? Worldly labels, worldly identities, we, we have these shouted at us all the time. Some positive, some negative, 
But all the time, there are people who are quite willing to tell us who we are. We ourselves sometimes permit those labels to come into us in ways that aren't healthy, spiritually or otherwise. We have all of this commotion going on around us, defining success and value. But when it comes to being a believer, the only identity that we begin and end with is that of disciple. And that of being loved and claimed by God. And then just figuring out in our lives how we live into that, how we engage that, how we respond to that. It's so very interesting to me. I said, you know, Paul, his barrier to knowing Christ was success. He had labels given to him all over the place. He earned those labels as well. He thrived in the world in which he inhabited because of those labels, not just a Hebrew, but of the tribe of Benjamin. He was going for it. Not just obedient to the law, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. Not just one who obeyed the law, was righteous in the law, who taught the law, but persecuted anybody he found threatening to it. Paul understands what it's like to be assigned labels, to earn labels that seek to define us in ways, folks, that are not holy. And so as Paul wrestles with this, engages this idea throughout his letters. And here he has come to the church at Philippi, and Paul loves this church. I guess he probably loved all the churches, but this one had a particular space in his heart. At the beginning of Philippians, he says, I thank God every time I remember you. I mean, he loves these folks, and they love him. And a lot has gone on. And so in that relationship, in that Christian community, he believes that he can be vulnerable enough, again, to kind of rehash and work out his understanding of himself, his identity, not based on all the worldly success, provided by his birth into a specific tribe, literally, or all the success that he earned by being a student and a Pharisee and a teacher and one who persecuted others. He decided that it was to, that was not how he would be defined. But he didn't come up with that on his own. And it took nothing less than the Holy Spirit knocking him off his feet for him to begin to understand that he needed to wrestle with who he was, who he lived his life as. Labels aren't necessarily negative, but the only label that defines us is child of God, is disciple. The only label that gets at our potential our value, our worth is that of child of God. 
And I think you see it in Paul again in his wrestling with his theology. He begins to understand that the label that really matters came to him as a believer in Christ. That's his story and how he now will engage the world. And he begins to understand that that label that now he has as a child of God given to him, the righteousness not earned but righteous because of faith, he begins to understand that that label that he now has for himself will also influence how he sees everybody else. And it's the same for us. People that live with their own hurt, their own woundedness, their own success, their own failures. People that live with anything that would separate them from understanding how beloved they are often impose that hurt on others and use labels to divide rather than to unite. And people of God, the church won't have it. The church in Philippians, we've been wrestling with this a long time. We're still at it. It must be our humanity, not our excuse. So the church at Philippi was wrestling with this, and so Paul speaks into that, wrestling with this as well with them, and says, you know, I could boast. <laughs> Look at me. Look at all that I did, all that I accomplished. I could boast. I was pretty good. People not only looked at me with respect, they looked at me with fear. I could boast. I had it going. I had it all. I had risen as high as my station in life would allow. And that was pretty high. I could boast. But I won't. Because I count it all as rubbish when it comes to knowing God through faith in Jesus Christ. And I, I like this. It's not really accurately um, translated as rubbish. It's actually translated as dung. My mama told me not to use words like that. <laughs> I count all this acclaim, all this success, all this identity that I had earned, that the world had given, I count it all as rubbish compared to the surpassing knowledge of faith in Jesus Christ. Paul gets what it's like to need to cast aside this earthly, whatever it is that the world, that the society, that the culture calls as valuable. Not all of it negative, I know that. But none of it determinative for who we are, like faith. None of it determinative of our worthiness before God. None of it. And I think sometimes we fail to recognize that. As I said, we've been forgetting it for 2,000 years. And the seasons ebb and flow and, I, and things come and go. It all comes back to understanding how valuable we are because of faith in Jesus Christ and how valuable that makes everyone else whom God created. Everyone. And Paul is engaging this in, in his conversation with the church at Philippi. Now it's a testimony for Paul. Paul is giving testimony to these people. We, we don't do that a lot in the Methodist church. I think we probably should do more. Paul is saying to all who would listen in, in then and now, Paul continues to say to us, this is the witness that I bear. This is how conversion to Jesus Christ changed everything in my life. Because there's no way I would have given up the old attitudes on my own. There's no way I would have put aside the labels and the accolades. There's no way I would have set aside the power 
the privilege. There's no way. Who would? Save for conversion. Save for Jesus claiming you and the Holy Spirit entering into your heart, knowing that identity, that worth, that value begins and ends with God's love. And so he had this converting moment, and, and he, was, he had not attained perfection in those moments. He had to keep on wrestling, and back and forth we see it. Keep on wrestling with that identity, with that worth, with that desire to be puffed up by the world's admiration, or that desire to count it all as rubbish so that he could be faithful and press on to the prize. Relationship, right? Relationship with Christ preceded the righteousness that we all believe is important. Paul doesn't discount the law. He doesn't leave behind all that he's known, all that he's learned. That gave foundation to his conversion. But it's only secondary to being claimed and loved by God. That's the message. We are called to be obedient. We are called to find power and surrender and victory and humility, right? Shakes it up a little bit. Doesn't make sense unless you have been converted by faith in Christ and unless you are committed to that constant transformation of the soul. People, it's not done in a one-time shot. It takes a lot of work, I know. I've lived it. God constantly working on my soul. Constantly calling me into account, reminding me that it's relationship not only that begins my value, but that influences who I am as a child of God. It's what believers do. We have relationship. When um, the folks from the conference were here, one of the things they asked the group to do, uh, the gathered body of folks, we were at tables, and they wanted each of us at each table to practice an elevator speech. Do you know what that is? The elevator speech, how will you sum up your faith in just a few minutes if you have a chance to share your faith with somebody? If you have a chance, just a small chance to share your faith with somebody, what's your elevator speech? How is it that you convey to them that righteousness, that, that identity, that value is found in Christ and Christ alone? How is it that you speak into that? My elevator speech simply is, I, I got church growing up. It was good. Nothing. My parents had me there. We did all that we needed to do. We, we, were, we were good. I mean, all of that. I got it. Believe me, a lot. I got success defined in any number of ways. As a middle child, that was a struggle. My sister, uber, uber smart. If anybody from Dalton's watching, they, they know that. And beyond intelligent, my sister, my brother, gifted athlete, here's me in the middle, struggling as a 13 or a 14-year-old trying to figure it out. Where was my value? Where did I fit in? It's tough sometimes. And then I went on a mission trip. And I realized as I engaged with people far different from me, Refugees fleeing civil war in Nicaragua going into Costa Rica. I mean, we couldn't have been any different. 
And yet, when I engaged folks, when relationship was built, it was the first time that I began to get that value of myself, value of other people, wasn't based on our accomplishments or on our IQ or on our athletic ability or, or any of that. It's when I engaged with people in relationship, people that I was going there to serve who transformed my life through the Spirit. Christian mission is never one direction. It always goes both ways. I don't know why it's some that have and others that don't. I, I don't know. I'll ask Jesus when I get there. But what I know is that in relationship, God uses those moments to make us, to help us in that journey of faith, that understanding of identity, that being able to take the next step towards being faithful. He calls it righteous. That's a big kind of scary word. He calls it faithful. It's faithful. And how is it that we engage with people who are different from us? We live in one of the wealthiest zip codes in the state. How is it that lines are crossed, that, that perceived labels of success, of wealth, of poverty are shattered so that all God's people can live in a little bit more into their faith? We do it in relationships. In our missions, we give, right? We provide, but God Almighty, we get. The Holy Spirit at work causing us to do more. Room in the end. We're thinking about it today. Eds equals dreams. The angel tree. I know some of you have signed up. We got all this going on. It's not just providing things. It's entering into relationship, looking people in the eye, having conversation, knowing that nothing, as believers, nothing separates us from the other. As believers, as those called, as those identified, as beloved, looking into the eyes of someone else called beloved as well. That's how we respond. That's what faith looks like. We got all the toiletries we need. <laughs> Thank you for room in the end. We got beds, we got pillows. We need people, drivers. Somebody to stay the night. It's not easy, but I guarantee it that if you do, your journey of faith will take on a necessary step. You'll become more complete, moving more towards like Christ, being like Christ, being who God calls us to be. It ain't convenient. I know it. I'm convicted. I'm done enough. But it's how faith develops. It's how we realize that labels prescribed by this world have nothing to do with us and our value and nothing to do with anybody else or their value. But how we're all in this together. How barriers come down when we are called and claimed and loved. How barriers come down when we're not trying to set ourselves apart or above or separate from anybody else based on anything we've ever done. But when we realize that God's spirit breaks down the walls, removes the barriers, invites us not only into relationship with Christ, but into relationship with everyone he loves. It's pretty serious stuff made possible by the power of the Spirit. Who are we? How do we find ourselves? How do we use labels? 
We are children of God, called to love, to live, and to be part of this world in redemptive and holy ways. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, some of us see ourselves separated from you by failure. Frankly, Lord, some of us feel separated from you by success. And all of us, Lord, convict us of our need of your grace. Help us to take another step in faith, whether it be the first one or just the one after that or one years down the road. God, every single one of us is incomplete. Even in our belovedness, even in our identity as your child, guide us this day and every day that follows. Help us understand who we are and what we are called to be in this world that you so dearly love. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Whatever. Right? Okay. Ready? Ready? I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Amen. Amen.